What I'd love to speak with you about this morning is I want to talk about leaving a legacy and uh, what, what does that mean. And often when we think of leaving a legacy, we might think of what kind of inheritance do we want to leave our children? Do we want to leave them uh, uh, some money or some possessions, material possessions? But I really want to speak today about the idea that legacy is about who we are and how we touch other people's lives. That's about what I really think a biblical legacy um, is all about. I remember as a young person, as a child, you know, you have dreams about your life and how your life is going to be this amazing blazing star, a comet across the sky, and you think you're going to change the world. Um, and then I realized, oh, I got uh, to get to know my own capacity and gifting, and I had to say, I may not be able to change the world, uh, but I can change my world. Um, and I think that's true for all of us. Uh, whatever sphere God has given you, whatever that might be in your work, um, in your family, in your friendships, in your relationships, God wants you to change and impact your world. And, um, and I really believe that as we build God's kingdom, as we people who sow into God's kingdom, we leave a wonderful, beautiful fragrance of Christ wherever we go. And it's really interesting to read in John 15, verse 16, where it's Jesus' final words to his disciples before he's about to go to his crucifixion. And it's in those moments that you look back over your life and you think, what is my last words? What, what are the things I'm going to say and going to leave behind? And uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, you, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And he says that to you this morning says that to me, none of you chose me. We, we seemingly think we do, did. But God says, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Isn't that beautiful? God is saying he wants our lives to bear fruit that is lasting fruit and a kind of fruitful life that points others to Jesus. Now, when we look at the life of Paul, um, we get a glimpse of the same idea of some of the last words that Paul says um, in his second letter to Timothy. We find Paul is near the end of his life. Once again, he's um, imprisoned. He's under house arrest. And um, if you think of Paul's life when you read the book of Acts and, and the letters as you piece together the story of his life, he was a very, very busy man. Uh, he was either building, uh, they, they say that one of his, that his job was working with his hands. He was a tradesman um, and he would have made these canvases that would have been like awnings to give shade, um, maybe in the places like the Colosseum or, or places where the kind of rich people went so that they could have, uh, in this hot heat of the day, he would have made these pagodas and, and shades for people. And so he was working with his hands, doing that kind of work. And in between that, he was preaching the gospel, going around with the networks that God was giving him and sharing the gospel. There was not much time for Paul to be able to sit down and write. And I don't know if it was 
in, in God's economy, you know, Paul was often arrested. There's so many times that he was spoken about he was arrested and put in jail. Now, jail in those days was not like the jail in our times. There was no law enforcement. You were often thrown in jail at the whim of some magistrate. You weren't fairly tried. You could be left there without anyone following up on your case. And when we talk about a jail, uh, think of a hole in the ground. Think of a dark cistern. Think of a place with very little light, crowded with other prisoners. Um, and no one, if they got a glass of water, a cup of water and a piece of bread once a day, that was generous. Um, they had to rely on friends to come and feed them and take care of their, their needs. So prison is not a nice prison cell. Think of a, a really dingy, dark dungeon type of experience. And that is what Paul had. And it was in those times that he had people come to him and minister to his needs, and he would tell them what he wanted to write, and they would write down these letters that he wrote. And so it was almost in these places, and later when he was under house arrest, he writes this letter to Timothy. And maybe that one wasn't so dark and dingy if he was kept in a house. But it would have given him much opportunity just to think and reflect on the deposit that his life would leave in the lives of those that he had discipled and the many churches that he had planted under his apostolic ministry. And so we read also in the story of Paul, uh, you know, where he was walk he's, he had been part of a death squad, killing of Christians. Um, let's just be honest, that's what he was. He was a death squad leader. He was not a very nice person, zealous for God, but misguided in that. And uh, he's going along from uh, into Damascus, and we know that story of his conversion where God, uh, Jesus, speaks to him in a blinding light and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he responds and he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And later on, Paul is sent to a person called Ananias, who's very nervous to take him, Paul. Um, so imagine someone who's a terrorist, who's blowing up things, and then you, the Lord says, I want you to take him into your home. <laughs> not, not your kind of typical person you want to be hosting. So Ananias is very nervous. And that the Lord says this to Ananias, he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So interesting. Paul is called to this glorious calling in God, but the thing that is going to be distinctive about his life is how much he must suffer in God's name. And we read about this. He is stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's flogged, he's shunned. That is the that is the experience of his life. And we often like on Instagram and Facebook, we put our best moments forward, don't we? We carefully curate our lives and we let everyone see the nice parts and then the parts that we where we're struggling, we don't like to put that on social media. Some of, the, some of that we get a sense of when we read what happened in Paul's life. We, we read about him planting churches and doing all these amazing things. But in the in-between times, 
he was suffering. He really, really was struggling. And uh, we know that even from AD 41 to AD 49, we don't even know really what was happening in his life. We think that he was probably in prison. He was probably just trying to make his life, making these canvases, just working hard with his hands, building relationships. Uh, life has those moments, the valley moments, isn't it? Or the, just the, the, these, and we have the mountaintop moments, but they're not the mainstay of our lives, are they? Uh, we have most of our lives are lived out in the ordinary, in the everyday, with our struggles, working through those things. So this is Paul's life. He's the one whose writings have probably most impacted the Western world and most of the world um, more than any other writer or philosopher. He is an amazing man. Um, and at the end of his life, under house arrest, he writes a letter to Timothy, who's his protege. And he's, like Jesus, was leaving his last words to his disciples. It's really interesting to see Paul saying, what is the legacy that I've left behind? And he says these words to, to Timothy, you then... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be uh, qualified to teach others. So Paul, when he writes, he understands that a legacy is only a legacy when it's passed on to the next generation, when it's passed on to others. It wasn't just something Paul kept to himself. He passed it on to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, pass on this message of grace to other re reliable, trustworthy people who will in turn pass that on. Because God has called us to serve our families, our church, our community, our workplaces, and to sow this legacy. And so I want to just ask you, just take a moment just to think about your life. What is your sphere? Who are the, the people that God has put in this season of your life? And sometimes it changes because you, you move or different things. But who are the people in your life right now that God is saying, I'm calling you to sow into those people? Just have a moment and have a think. And as I continue to speak, perhaps think about how what Paul says will encourage those that you've, God has called you to impact. So the way that Paul explains this to Timothy, he uses three illustrations or images of a Christian life well-lived. And this is what he says is the legacy he wants to leave. And it might not be what we expected, what we expect. So we're going to read that in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 6. He says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. So there we are, three images that Paul gives to Timothy to say, uh, this is my legacy, this is what I want you to, to take hold and to, to live and to rem be reminded of. 
a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. So Paul is saying that's what the Christian life is like. Like It's like being like a soldier. The Christian life is like being an athlete and a farmer. And it's from each of these illustrations that he draws out some key qualities that mark our lives when we journey with faith in God. So what are some of the things we can take from these illustrations? And the first thing that he wants Timothy to know out of his own life experience is that life is tough. (laughs) Life is hard. Anyone disagree? (laughs) Life is hard. Um, You know, so often we have uh, teachings in the church that go, you know, when you come to Jesus, all your troubles are going to go away. (laughs) That's not true, is it? (laughs) No, life is tough, even for Christians, and this is no exception for us. Life is hard. It has challenges. And so Paul is saying, think of the life of a soldier, Uh, He or she has to go through rigorous training and discipline only then to follow, face the horrors of the battlefield. Life for a soldier is the trauma of war. Um, It's about summoning up enormous courage and overcoming very real fear in every skirmish. I've never been a soldier, but I, I don't know what you have to do to summon up that courage to go out onto a battlefield. It must be incredibly overwhelming, uh, a, a real challenge. And you see, all of us have battles that we have to go through, most of which we probably don't choose, um, but we stumble upon as we make our, life, our way through our lives. And as it says in the book of James, he says, Consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials. And I always love how Ant has taught that that word fall is the Greek word peripipto. Don't you think that's a cute word? Peripipto, when you're walking along and you peripipto into trials. And that's very often how it is for us. We're just going about our lives, minding our own business, doing our best, and something difficult comes upon us. That's, that's how life is. And none of us asked for it. And yet suddenly we're dealing with illness or we've lost our job, losing family. There's loneliness. Maybe we have marriage struggles, raising children in an unkind world. All of these things can be real challenges for us. But Paul says that if we are to live this life well, We've got to have the mental attitude of a soldier. We've got to be able to take our share of suffering. And this suggests that every Christian has to endure trials and tests as a common experience for all Christians. So what I'm saying to you today is it's okay. You haven't sinned if you're going through something difficult. It's not because you sinned. It's because this is part of life. And it's, we all go through it. If we, if we asked everyone, take a moment and quickly tell someone next to you what struggle you're going through, you probably won't, a minute won't be long enough. But maybe over coffee, we can share and encourage each other. But I hope that's not where the story ends. Then Paul says, think of the life of an athlete. Uh, we love to watch the exciting things 
part of the, an athlete's life when they run that 100-meter sprint. And they run and they get to the thing and they win and they break the tape. Um, but we forget that there are endless hours of training, of stamina building, mental battles to overcome in order for that athlete to win that race. Um, when I used to train for the 800 meters, I'd get up early before school and run about five to eight Ks every morning. And then the afternoons, it was uh, speed training on the track. And every Sunday morning before church, we would get up at five and do 10 Ks. And then be a, as a recovery, just to get rid of all the lactic acid after racing on a Saturday. So that was my life as a teenager. Just running was my, my world and I absolutely loved it. But I knew in order to win, you had to work very hard. You see, because no one wins without the hard work of training. And God wants every single one of us to win our race. But we are really have to work at the things that really matter. Um, and that is the real question, really, isn't it? Are we working hard at the things that are leaving a good legacy behind us, like investing in our families and friendships and using our gifts to bring life to others in our church and workplace and communities. God wants us to be working hard and giving our energy to the things that are leaving a legacy. Then think of the life of a farmer. Uh, the farmer has toil in plowing up the soil, gathering the harvest, being at the mercy of all the elements. This is hard physical labor. And yesterday when Ant and I went for a walk, we've got these beautiful fields surrounding where we live. And yesterday, um, there were beautiful fields of rye all over the place. When we went there this yesterday, the, day, the next day, um, everything was gone. And there were huge bales of hay. And they had piled these up. I'm not joking. It was probably seven meters high of bales on the side. So someone was very hard at work. Some farmer <laughs> had been doing that. And I know today they've got all the machinery, which really makes it really good, helpful. But it's hard work being a farmer. Um, and in the Christian life, it's the same. There will be seasons of plowing and breaking open the ground where things are not easy and you really got to push in to make it happen. Seasons of sowing and then patiently waiting to see the growth and the breakthrough. And then through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Isn't that what Paul says? And we have to push through the hard times till we see the harvest of righteousness in our lives. And this is what it's like. Life is tough. Look at a farmer, look at an athlete, look at a soldier, Paul says. And you'll see that's what the Christian life is like. Is that helpful for you? The second thing about living the Christian life well is that serving God demands single-minded focus. You see, when a soldier is on a campaign, he can't be caught up in the daily demands and distractions of civilian life. He has to have a, a single-minded focus as he prepares to go into battle, listening to the commands of his officer. And it's the same with the Christian life. 
And it's not that we opt out of society and we neglect our friends and work and say, oh, I'm not worried about anybody. I'm just focusing on the Lord. Uh, no, we need to eat. We need to take care of our health and our mental well-being. We need to give attention to our responsibilities, our families, and our work are very important. Now, I think what Paul is talking about is our loyalties and our priorities. It means that our loyalty to Jesus as our commanding general is our grounding perspective on what we value and each decision that we make. You see, Paul is warning us that to live the Christian life well, we must be aware of those priorities. No matter how well-meaning that draw our attention away from loyalty to Jesus. What is important is that Jesus, uh, what is important to Jesus then becomes important to me when I make Jesus my priority. Um, what is important to Jesus is he loves the lost and the broken. He loves his church and he wants us to bless and to build his church. He loves the poor. He wants us to care for them. And so sometimes it's really good to stop and think about what are the things that are really driving us and motivating us. Sometimes we can really get caught up in fears and anxiety, and without realizing it, we start to serve those things instead of Jesus. And so I just want to ask you to stop and think this morning, what is it that your commanding officer is saying? What is it, the thing that he's saying, I want you to find courage to go and do that. I want you to maybe uh, change direction. I want you to open your heart where your heart is feeling hard. Listen to the voice of your commanding officer. Let's be in tune with him. That's how we live the Christian life. And then the third thing is that living the Christian life well is that we need to play by the rules. Paul says that the athlete only wins the prize when he runs according to the rules. Now, obviously, Paul is not talking about being a slave to Old Testament rules and following all the rituals and the practices, because isn't that what, what Paul has said in, in his beautiful book to the Galatians? He said, you're no long, longer under the law, but you're under the Spirit. And um, as our friend Michael Eaton said, when we walk by the Spirit deliberately, we fulfill the law accidentally. So when we aim at the law, we just come under legalism and bondage, we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He never leads us in a way that is contrary to God's will and God's ways. We listen to his voice and we follow him and we walk into that freedom. So what, is, what does Paul mean when he says, play by the rules like a good athlete? I think that in this illustration, what Paul is saying is don't be tempted to step into that gray zone of compromise where you begin to make choices that subtly and just little by little dishonor Jesus. And step by step, we can become unfaithful to him. Jesus is no longer central to our lives when we start to rely on our own strength without the grace of God. And don't we all do that at times? We suddenly find ourselves 
I can do this. And with our, or our default is like, I can do this on myself. I don't need God. As soon as we play by those rules, those are not the rules. God wants us to play by the rules of actually, I rely on the Holy Spirit. I rely on God's grace. You see, because if we don't, we can't win the race that way. And each of us has a race to run. I can't run your race, and you can't run mine. And we don't run our race against each other. We're not here to compete with each other. We're here to run championing each other. Um, but we've each got a unique journey, and we've got to finish this race that God has for each of us. And to finish it well means that we really need to rest in the finished work of Christ to bring us to the finish line. He paid the price. He gives us the strength to overcome, and he guides us by his Spirit into all truth. And it's when we lean and rest on that that we're able to run. But those are the, the rules that God has for us. Don't do it on your own strength. Trust in him. Rely on him. Lean into his grace. Those are the rules. And the fourth thing, and this is the last thing I want to say, is that to live a life well, to leave a good legacy, is to remind ourselves that there is a reward. You see, the soldier wins the battle, and he pleases his commanding officer. The athlete wins the race, and he gets a crown. The farmer reaps the fruit of his hard labor with the harvest that he has. So I want to say to you this morning, uh, whatever trial you are going through, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Whatever tough battles you are persevering through, keep your eyes on your commanding officer, Jesus, who waits to praise you for your faithfulness, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever seeds you've sown, and you're waiting to see them bud, hang in there. Your good works will be rewarded. Hang in there. Um, I think most plants that are really significant plants don't just spring up in a, in a few days. You know, and that's true with our lives. When we're sowing into people's lives and to those that we love, it takes time. Be patient. See what God will do. There is a reward. So Paul commends us in all of these examples to a confident assurance that as we live our lives rooted in these simple values, we will leave a rich legacy of the power of the gospel in the, to the lives of those around us. And to live a fruitful life, to leave a legacy to those whom God has placed in our world, Paul is essentially saying, this is the summation of what he's saying in these pictures. He says, hang in there. Life is tough, but if you keep your heart soft to God and you honor him, if you don't throw away your confidence, but you persevere and keep your heart loyal to Jesus, then you will see the fruitful life, knowing God's favor and pleasure and seeing the work of your hands prosper. And so to end with, I want to ask this question, how then do we pass on this kind of legacy? 
And I want to say, it's by living simply and honestly, day in and day out. Faithful in the small things. Faithful in being kind. Faithful in forgiving. Faithful in keeping a soft heart. Faithful in taking care of the things you've been made responsible for. Not shunning the things that God's given you to be, to be responsible for. Day in, day out. And if we don't throw away our confidence, but we persevere, we will see these things happen. And over time, it produces a lifetime of fruitfulness. You know, we kind of think, how did that person live such a great life? No, they just did every day great. They just lived every day very simply and honestly. That's what makes a great life. You know, I think that deep down, people aren't watching your life and thinking, oh, look at the great success they made of that. Oh, look at how they failed. I think they watch how we hold the line on our convictions, how we walk steadfastly with humility and grace. That's what people want, a life that is lived consistently. So I want to say that one of the greatest legacies we can leave is to simply stay the course, persevere to the finish line, cross over with all our battle scars from the journey, and everyone's got battle scars, yet resting in the grace of God. And I want to say our young people, I love all our young people in this church community, our young people really need hope amidst the pessimism and the cynicism that surrounds them. This world is not a kind world. And I want to say that each of our lives that are lived well with kindness and humility is a beacon and a hope and a compass to so many. And Paul ends his illustration verse, with verse 7 where he says, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so here is an invitation to each of us to ask the Lord what these illustrations mean for each of our lives personally, where you're at. And I want to invite you, whether you're on leave or you're working, just have some space this week <clears throat> just to find some time to reflect on these verses for your life personally. Say, God, who, who is the sphere? Who's my world that you're wanting me to impact? What are the things that you're wanting me to persevere in? What are the things you're wanting me to keep you, your perspective in? And I want to encourage us that, that we are to be a church community of soldiers of athletes and farmers that can leave a really fruitful legacy for those around us. Amen. Amen.